not just a day. We know last Sunday was Easter, but we're in this season, 50 days long of uh, continuing to celebrate the resurrection. Um, so I'll start us by saying F. F. That was the grade on my paper in a anatomy and physiology class in college. I'd just gotten back a pop quiz. We were in our third day of this uh, new class that I was taking. It ended up being my favorite class in all of college, anatomy and physiology. But there on my paper was a big fat F. The whole class, we had all gotten an F on this pop quiz. Um, Maybe you've been there. Maybe you in high school or maybe a college class, you too stared at an F. And it just represent, it did not represent fantastic, right? It did not represent freaking awesome or fun. It was failure. And it didn't feel really good. Some of us have gotten an A minus in classes, and we too have felt failure. Not just those of us that have gotten F, but sometimes the A minus feels like failure. Today we're going to look at um, how we might process failure. We've all experienced it. Uh, We've all had not just uh, an academic setting where there's some level of failure, but in relationships there's been failure. Um, You may even be wondering, how how am I supposed to process my relationship with God if I feel like I've failed God? How does God treat me when (coughs) I've failed God? And so the character that we're looking at today, Peter, he's known as the famous failure in, uh, in, in his failure. And the context is he has, in his last interaction with Jesus, before Jesus died, Peter fails him. People are wondering, does Jesus know him? And uh, Peter is modeling our humanity in that moment when he fails Jesus and says, I don't even know the guy. So I want you to imagine that picture of Peter failing Jesus, and that was their last interaction before Jesus dies. Now... Jesus has risen from the dead, and Jesus is making these post-resurrection appearances to all of these different people, and he shows up to Peter, and this is their first interaction. What is that interaction going to be like? Is Jesus going to shame him? Is Peter going to just run from Jesus out of fear? So that's the story we're going to look at today, and basically we want to talk about three things, and number one is that failures invite us to learn humility. There's no greater lesson than failure that leads us right into humility. The second thing is that failures are used by God to reveal God's grace. So failure's not final. And then the third and last thing is that failures remind us to rest in Jesus. (coughs) Failures are not this moment in your life where you feel like, I gotta rise or I'm gonna have a good comeback story, but rather rest in Jesus. Okay? So uh, let's start reading it here. It says, Later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they said. So they all went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. But the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. 
Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. He jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard, dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't been torn. Now come and have breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Okay, the very first thing that, uh, that we want to talk about is that failures have a way of inviting us uh, right into humility. No other teacher, maybe suffering, maybe loss, maybe grief, but failures teach humility like nothing. <laughs> Think about a moment of failure in your life. I'm thinking of some in my own life, and it's embarrassing. You don't want anybody to know about it. You want to hide. You, we, we want to fake it till we make it. We have all these different mechanisms and tools to deal with failure. Even maybe right now talking about failure is very uncomfortable. And I want you to see that in our story today, before Jesus provides for them, he gives them the opportunity to admit their need. Check this out. Verse 5, Jesus asked them, have you caught any fish? Okay, don't you think Jesus knows the answer to that? Jesus, right, he can see right through the water. He knows where the fish are. He's looking into the net. He already knows the answer. Why is Jesus asking them that question? He wants them not only to see their need, but to admit need. And this is what's so unique about the Christian gospel, is it's when we admit need, Christ is so ready and present to help but invites us into that process to admit need. Think about the feeding of the 5,000. Remember what Jesus does there? John chapter 6. Jesus asked his disciples before performing the miracle, hey, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Come on, Jesus. Why are you asking us that question? Why does Jesus do this? Jesus, with those disciples in that story, he's, he's wanting people to know Um, that they have a need. Before healing the lame man in John chapter 5, he asked that guy, would you like to get well? Come on, of course I would like to get well. Why are you asking me that question? The question for you and I is, what keeps you from asking that question? What keeps you from humbly admitting uh, that you need help and that I need help? Um, I, I confess it's uh Fear. I confess it's if I announce need, if I acknowledge that I'm lacking in something, my peers, my city, my um, people around me are, are going to view me in such a different way. And, and that's, the, that's the power of Jesus' words here is he's inviting us to admit need. Um, look at their response. How, how, how do they re- reply in verse 5? We got nothing. <laughs> we fished all night. We got nothing. Our pockets are empty. We, like Our net is zilch, zero, nada. There's nothing there. And I don't know if you've hit rock bottom. I don't know if you've been to a place of need in your life in that regard. It's a powerful moment. 
It's a powerful thing to admit zero. I got nothing. And that's the power of this story of of resurrection. Jesus interacting with Peter, whom Peter hasn't seen him since his failure. What's it going to be like? And he's beginning to to, to kind of teach Peter that his failure is going to lead him right into humility. And humility is a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. Jesus never turns us away because of need and because of humility. Whatever need that is and however deep that need goes, relationally, financially, uh, physically, whatever need is there, God never, through Jesus, resists that sort of prayer that says, we got nothing. I'm empty. In fact, I'm going to learn how to boast in that. I got nothing. I need your help to fill this net. Jesus, you'll remember in his whole ministry in speaking to uh, the Pharisees and, and, and a group of people who were basically arrogant, prideful, who felt like they didn't need Jesus. Jesus basically tells those people, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but I've come to call those that know that they are sinners, those that know that they need help. Those are the ones that I came to help. We need to admit need. We need to admit need. We need to admit need. I can't say this enough, enough, enough. The repetition of the week that is coming up for you, there will be moments where there will be failure. There will be moments where someone fails you. And the invitation that the resurrection gives us is to admit need. Oh God, I'm in need. I don't understand my own failure. I don't understand someone's failure against me. I don't understand the system's failure against all of us. But oh God, I got nothing. I got nothing. There's nothing in my net. That's what the resurrection promises you. The resurrection promises that instead of, I got enough, I'm doing good, I got plenty. I'm going to rely on my intellect this week. I'm going to rely on my ability to network this week. I'm going to rely on my uh, skill that I have this week. And we'll see here the second thing is that failures are used by God. God doesn't hate failures. God actually, in the same way he's creatively even going to use evil and suffering in our world, God creatively can use um, failure. He's going to creatively use failure to reveal his grace. Look at verse 5 and 6. Again, Jesus takes nothing and does something great with nothing. He fills the net. 153 fish. Verse 11 says, I mean, how much does this this net weigh? (laughs) Why 153 fish? There's so many different um, theologians and academics that comment on this 153 fish. Here's the bottom line answer. It's more than enough. It's way more (laughs) than a few disciples and Jesus with a few fish tacos. It's more than they need. And that's exactly the message that the resurrection brings to you and me in our failures. Look at Jesus' promise. It's trustworthy. He says, throw out your net on the right side and you'll get some. He already knows it. We can trust him. You're not a fisherman. I'm not a fisherman. But notice the provision of Jesus and notice the immediacy of that provision. They throw it out and immediately there's fish right there in the net for them. God loves to provide abundantly. Do you believe that? 
In your moment of deepest need, we struggle, though, to think God really cares. Or, like, we know God owns it all, but why is God withholding? Now, you remember the psalm we just read at the beginning of our worship time here, Psalm 34, that Juan read for us? That God withholds nothing that's good for us. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, and God will not withhold his best from you. I want you to remember a a, a time. Can, Can you remember a time? Can you remember a time when you were in that much need? God loves to meet needs. God's not overwhelmed with whatever needs you may have. I'm thinking of a story where, where uh, my family was living in Thailand and uh, my wife Caroline was, was in the grocery store and she needed to find cream cheese and there's no cream cheese in Thailand. Like you got to make that kind of stuff. Like you got to really start from scratch. And I remember Caroline, t- my wife, telling me this story that uh, she literally started praying <laughs> that God would provide cream cheese right, like right there in the grocery store. And as silly as that may sound to you, Think about a time when you've been in desperate need for God to provide or do that very thing that you needed. And lo and behold, right in front of Caroline in the dairy section in Thailand is a cream cheese. One brand. And the brand name of that cream cheese is called Caroline. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. You you can't make up these stories. And so for, for those disciples, for them to have an empty net... And for Jesus to say, cast it on this side of the boat, and, and for 153 fish just to like jump in the net, that's not some little kid's story that we tell in Sunday school. That's a real God that provides for us and loves to provide for us. And so why 153 fish? Because God does it in abundance. He gives you more than what you need. He always does it that way. His his, his mathematics are not like ours. I mean, again, I'm going to draw us back to the story of him feeding the 5,000 and him giving us more than we need. Remember the story? How many people did he feed? How many baskets of leftovers were there in that story? Ooh, there were leftovers in that story. Ooh, I hadn't thought about that. Feeds 5,000. Uh, some scholars say it was more like 14 or 17,000 people. Yet... There were 12 baskets full of leftovers. The point? God loves to provide. He's able to provide. He will provide. And his resurrection and this post-resurrection appearance to these disciples is proving not only is he providing an atoning sacrifice who's going to die for them, not only is he going to provide a victorious champion who's going to raise from the dead, he's going to provide every single little thing that they need. That's your resurrected Christ. That's my resurrected Christ. He does things differently. Um, Peter, how is Peter going to interact with this Jesus, though? We know he's failed Jesus, their last interaction. Now they meet up together. Think about your dad or your mom or some teacher, some figure that you have in your memory of someone that you've failed. Okay, you've got him in mind. There we go. Uh, Imagine that failure that happened... And then you two part ways. Now imagine the next time you saw that person. What was it like? Awkward. Totally awkward. 
we're either hanging our heads or we're, we're just smiling and acting like nothing's going on or we're trying to impress them with something that'll get their mind off of the failure. It's totally awkwardness. So Peter, we'll look here in verse 7. How does Peter reply to Jesus? Is he going to run from Jesus? And maybe that's you and your failure. Maybe that's me and my failure. Maybe that's how we reply to a merciful God when we fail. I'm just going to run from him. I'm just going to get busy. Look at Peter in verse 7. It says, when they noticed that it was the Lord, Peter jumped out of the boat and swam to Jesus. He swims like 100 yards. He's like some triathlete. Like, like I got to get to Jesus. What Peter's learning is that being a Christian will involve failures. It'll also involve learning humility, but it'll also involve learning that God's going to use his grace to transform you. Peter gets that his relationship isn't based on Peter's failure. Peter gets that his relationship with Jesus is based on Jesus' success on the cross. That's what makes Peter successful. That's what makes you successful. Not what you get done today, not what you leave undone today, but all of your success as a person, as a Christian, is united with the success of Jesus on the cross. Totally. It's life-changing. The perspective is life-changing. P- Peter gets that. Every be- everything begins to change for him. I ask you, what, what voice do you hear in the middle of your failure? Is it, dang it, I just haven't done enough. I can never seem to do enough. Not when I get the F's, but when I get the A-minuses, I still can't do enough. Are those the voices that you hear? That's what religion wants to teach us. Religion is different than Jesus and the gospel. Religions teach us, try harder, try harder. You've failed. I hope you try harder. Try harder than that. Because you've failed, try harder. That's depressing. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus and the resurrection is, you are fully known in all of your failures. All of them. Yes, all of them. Even those ones that go so deep that you don't want anyone else to know about. Even in those failures, I know you. I've forgiven you. I love you that deeply. Here's the good news. No matter how deep your failures go, no matter how often they keep coming up, no matter how great the guilt, your failure is not final. It's not final. It's, it's, it doesn't even define who you are. You're not stuck. And you might be listening to this and just feeling so stuck in some failure. And again, it could be a failure that someone's done to you, and you're just stuck. You're just mad. You don't act mad, but you really are. Somebody's failed you, and you're stuck right there. Or... Uh, you've failed someone or you've failed at something and you're kind of stuck. And our growth is kind of stunted right there. And the reason may be because it's kind of taboo to even talk about failure and to talk about these kind of things. We want to get busy. We want to change the subject. We want to fake it till we make it. Or it could be that we're crushed. Some failure has happened to you or to me and you just feel crushed. It could be that there's a feeling of being crushed because so much of my identity was placed on that very thing. i got to succeed. 
because my identity is on the line. My reputation is on the line. I've got to perform. You feel, do you feel and hear the pressure in that? And growth and change through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a live God who lives inside of you, is giving you a totally different message. And that message is saying your self-image is not based on your failures. Your self-image and people's perception of you is not stuck in time based on some failure of yours. But the truest thing about you is what Christ has already done for you. That's what makes you successful. Lastly, uh, failures remind us to rest in Jesus. Resting in Jesus. Verse 12 says, think about this. Jesus is on the beach as the risen Christ and he's making fish tacos for his disciples. That's beautiful. That's powerful. He says in verse 12, guys, come, come have breakfast. It blows me away um, as he's making this fish for them um, that he, he does not hang a banner over a little table that says, breakfast for failures, breakfast for losers. He doesn't treat his disciples that way. He doesn't treat you that way. He's not looking at you with his hands on his hip, mad at you because of some failure. He gives you grace. Grace and mercy. No other religion is offering this. No other God offers and invites you to this. Jesus alone is the only one. Verse 12, none of the disciples asked, who are you? They knew it was Jesus. They knew it was Jesus. They were familiar with this mercy. They were familiar with this grace that Jesus had shown them over and over again. Do you remember earlier in the book of John, right now we're looking at uh, John chapter uh, 21, but do you remember earlier in the book of John chapter uh, 6 where Jesus started asking his disciples, he he began to notice that some of them were leaving him and leaving the crowds. Crowds were kind of dwindling a little bit. Numbers were kind of going down. And Jesus asked them, "Um, are you going to leave too? And Peter replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? You and you alone have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you're the Holy One of God. We have nowhere else to go. Does that sound familiar? It's very familiar with their reply about Jesus and the net. Remember Jesus asking about their net? Have you caught anything? And they reply, we got nothing. We're empty. We got zero. We need you to do something. And you and I and our failures, we may be saying, oh, but you don't really know me. You don't really know how deep and how awful, how recurring my failures go. Or you don't know how often someone has failed me. Matthew 11, here's, here's wonderful news for us today. Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens And I will give you my rest. Come to me and you will find rest for your souls. Coming to Jesus for you and for me in our failures is going to mean relinquishing control. I don't know about you, but I hate to fail. I hate it. I don't think anybody 
Uh, and I'm, nor is Jesus, nor am I commending you to go to your place of work tomorrow and go in there and say, I'm a failure and Jesus loves me. That is not the message today. The message is your failure is not final. So in conclusion, your failures lead us to humility. Learn to admit failure. Learn to admit it. Lean into it. Announce it to God. I'm empty. I'm in need. I've failed. I need you. Even when this seems very fearful, it's very freeing. Might we do it more? In conclusion, the second thing is in your failures, receive God's grace. Stop beating yourself up over your failures. Stop it. Stop. Stop it. You don't need it. Stop beating other people up because of their failures. They don't need it. You don't need it. Stop judging them and critiquing them because of their failures. Stop. Receive God's grace. Grace is not anger. Grace lets us admit failures, but grace forgives. Maybe an action step for you is to forgive yourself for some failure you've had. Or forgive someone else who's failed you in some way. Lastly, in your failures, rest in Jesus. Go have breakfast with Jesus. Go have breakfast with him. Go have a midnight snack with Jesus. See Jesus as the one providing for you. See Jesus the one sitting at the table, wanting a relationship with you, ready to talk to you wherever you are. Spend every time uh, you, you feel like you've bumped up against a failure. Run to Jesus. Swim to Jesus, just like Peter's doing. Don't run from him. Run to him. And there you will find a Jesus making breakfast for you. There you will find a Jesus with wide open arms to receive you again and again and again. And lastly, go invite others to come to the party. Go invite others to come to breakfast with us and with you. To come meet a God, come meet a Jesus that deals with failure in a way like no one else does. Let's pray. Father God,